0: Hello, and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. On this episode, we meet Phil Chalk of Factory and Seb Burnett of Rumpus Animation. So we're back again with more podcast goodness. This is Ben Mitchell, and joining me is Steve Henderson. How are you doing, Steve? Steve? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm okay. I'm just slowly freezing to death. <laughs> I can't actually feel my fingers.
1: This is coming from a man who has experienced Canada.
0: It's very true. Time-wise, we'd have to like bring up snow and melt it over the stove just so we could flush the toilet. <laughs> but thankfully, in my luxurious British apartment, I have electric radiators. Big ugly things that stick out of my wall. For all my creature comforts, heat electric. <laughs> <laughs> and you sound like you're keeping warm up there
1: I am keeping warm up here, yes, very well It is a season though, Ben, you know The, the nights are creeping in uh, The excuse to watch The Nightmare Before Christmas uh, And enjoy it for its kind of Halloweeny goodness Is coming up uh, it's, a, it's a good time of year
0: You mean the approaching of All Hallows' Eve
1: Yes, indeed Cinema
0: goers can rejoice in the thematically appropriate fair Such as Hotel Transylvania 2 mm. Did you see that one?
1: I've not seen it yet. Have you seen it?
0: I did, actually. I saw it the, a few days ago, and uh, it was good. It was it was all the things that we liked about Hotel Transylvania 1, mainly the animation. It always seemed a little on the nose to me, like it's a big old monster mash.
1: Yeah. A graveyard smash. <laughs> Caught on in a flash.
0: Exactly. Gendy, of course, very talented, very nice chap, and uh, talked to us when part one came out. Many moons ago now, but uh, it's still there if you want to... Check out that interview. Otherwise, what else is, uh, is happening?
1: Well, on this podcast, we've got an interview with um, Phil Chalk. Now, he's not um, a, a, a creepy monster by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but uh, he's, his company, Factory, have created a new series based on a very popular uh, set of novels uh, called Scream Street. And it's a stop-motion show that's uh, airing on CBBC. Uh, well, it be airing now, actually. The first episode is available on iPlayer. I'm sure the others will follow. It is everything that you kind of come to expect from animation in the northwest, and the joint forces of McKinnon and Saunders and uh, Factory have come together to create this, uh, this superb show. Um, and we've got an interview with Phil coming up to talk about Scream Street. Talk about Factory, you know, Factory, the guys who created uh, Strange Hill, and uh, they've recently brought the Clangers back to life. They did Newsoids as well. They're a very busy studio at the minute, and, uh, yeah, it was nice of Phil to take some time to talk to Squiggly uh, and talk through uh, the history.
0: Yes, and predominantly stop-motion, as I understand.
1: They are, yes, yeah. Predominantly a stop-motion uh, company. Of course, they come from um, uh, Chapman Entertainment, Hot Animation, the guys who did, um, you know, Bob the Builder, Rubber Dubbers. Uh, they also did, um, well, Chapman did uh, Rory the Race Car and uh, Fifi and the Flower Tots and Ra Rah the Noisy Lion.
0: Oh, yes, the, uh, the new show looks to be the... Uh requisite amounts creepy kooky mysterious and uh, I dare say spooky visually speaking they really do have a very very firm handle on the animation there's a lot of really nice fluidity to it like I was sort of geeking out in the last episode about like the sprite animation of Armacrog and that since I imagine it's quite a nice thing to sort of have on if you've got youngins or uh I don't know what would you say the audience for this show would be sort of preteens.
1: It's in, yeah, it's interesting. I'd say preteens, even even teens. Really, um, it, is, it is aimed at an older audience, and it is visibly uh, aimed at an old, older audience in a way that the um, well, the pacing is very snappy in it. Uh, there, there are double the amount of shots in this, you know, these eleven-minute episodes, as there is in the kind of preschool um, stop motion that most people would associate coming out of the northwest. Um, so these things have been kind of the pace has been picked up and the stories are really kind of, uh, really kind of uh, frantic and and fast paced and, fast-paced and um, there's a they get a lot done in 11 minutes and that's really commendable for a, a stop motion series because obviously with the stop motion series you get lots of limitations you can't you can only use certain characters you can o- only use certain sets um, but they cram so much into these episodes and the writing as well. They do pay homage to a lot of uh, the kind of things that we love as well uh, in the series. Uh, old old movies, old horror movies. Um, some so some old favourites are referenced in there. Considering that it's a television show, there really is a huge cast of um, you know stop motion puppets uh, in it, which you don't you don't really appreciate unless you're sort of. The kind of nerds that record an animation podcast and and look too much into animation and, and appreciate sprites and things like that, um, you know, and you do, you do look at it and think, oh wow, there's you know there's there's been no no corners cut here. They really have gone for it with the puppets and and the cast and everything else.
0: It's certainly, great work that the uh, the team are doing. I think we mentioned the Clangers a few episodes back as one of the very small handful of remakes that actually seem to do it right Mm -hmm. by basically just updating all the the right areas on the production side of things but certainly the soul of it and the tone of it seem to be very 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 similar to
2: what the clangers was always all about shall we hear from mr phil chalk let's hear from phil hello i'm phil chalk managing director of factory based here in, in sunny aldringham in cheshire factory started some five years ago uh on the old site of the the hot animation studios and the Chapman Entertainment Studios that I used to run, uh, we were in a position five years ago where we either disbanded and went our own sweet way, or we were able to combine all our talents and form Factory, which is what we did, and we started with our first series, which was Strange Hill High, uh, some four and a half years ago now.
1: You started with Strange Hill High. Been a puppet show? Were there puppeteers amongst you, or was it like fresh new ground?
2: We were approached by the BBC with a view to helping to to define what, what Strange Hill High might be. And it was clear from the outset, from Kat Van Henderson's vision, that it had to be Rod Puppets with CGI faces, and it was a whole new departure from us because for us because we were we were working predominantly in stop frame. With digital effects, you know, we've made things like Rory the Racing Car, Fifi and the Flower Tots, Ra Ra the Noisy Lion. So our heritage was very much in, in stop frame. But many of the sensibilities that Kat talked about for Strange Hill were founded actually in the stop frame realm. So we uh, encouraged many of our stop frame animators and directors, Chris Titchborne, for example, and Jeff Walker, who had directed stop frame shows, worked on Multiple series, and also in the case of Chris, he worked at Liker on Coraline and Corpse Bride as an animator. So they really embraced the challenge of working in, in puppetry. The
1: kind of animation community in Manchester must have been quite supportive at that, uh, at that stage.
2: Very much so. Uh, the, the animation community in Manchester, as 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 we all know, started largely with Cosgrove Hall back in the you know late seventies and early eighties, and many of us. Uh, were fortunate enough to work at Cosgrove Hall back in the day in Cholton. And for me, it was really important that we, you know, we keep that that flame alive, you know, the stop frame flame alive in, in this region in particular. And and so when we were presented with the opportunity to, to start Life as Factory, you know, we were incredibly fortunate that many of the animators were available. Uh, they'd worked on, you know, many of the Cosgrove properties in the past, but then including, you know, the hot animation properties, Bob the Builder, Rubber Dubbers and so on. So there's they, they all grew up with Bob and planted their roots in this area. So they've, they've got families that were, and they wanted to stay in the area. So we were really fortunate that we had a, a talent pool from which to, to work with and base base our our early series on.
1: You're also working on The Clangers as well. Bring The Clangers back to the, the screen.
2: The Clangers, I mean, it was just a, an absolute dream to, to work on it. Uh, it started... About three years ago, when I saw a very early stage maquette at the Coolabi offices in London, and they said, "Look, we're, we're exploring the notion and the notion bringing the clangers back," and I just said, "We have to work on this property with you." You know, I won't, I won't, I won't allow you to work with anybody else, <laughs> and that started the journey, and uh, you know, the whole process of working with Peter Firmin and Dan Polsgate and Dan Maddicott. Uh, has just been you know the most amazing experience you know we've remained incredibly true to the original uh we've had we've been able to to develop some of the early sketches that Peter had, had envisaged back in the back in the 60s but budgets as they were then and given the the constraints of of producing in his in his garden shed you know they couldn't realize the full ambition for the show so we see our series as as season 3 a continuation from from what Peter and Oliver Polskate did back in the day
1: Time, um adult public series as well
2: with uh, newsoids. newsoids again what what a departure uh it started life uh, a couple of years ago actually because we you know we, we want to embrace digital technologies we want to embrace new channels for exploitation and the the initial concept was that we were going to launch something online we were going to create our own youtube channel we were going to create vines we were going to take the mickey out of, of predominantly celebrities and some people from the, uh, the political realm. And at the same time, a chap called Giles Pilbrow called me, said he'd seen Strange Hill High. He ab- absolutely loved it. He uh, wanted to know more about the process. Then he went on to explain that he'd been a producer on the original Spritting Image series. He'd created 2D television, uh, worked on Horrible Histories as, as showrunner and producer. And then it was just a, a meeting of minds, and it was, it was we, we ditched the digital uh, notion early on because we we got a bite from ITV who loved the uh, loved the premise. Obviously, that it was they were the original home for Spitting Image, and it, and it went from there. And it just uh, and again, a very different experience, you know, working on prime time, working on something that was completely topical, uh, more more topical than we'd imagined when we first started developing the show. Originally, it was going to be sort of 50-50, non topical, topical. And towards the end, it ended up being sort of 70% topical material that was written that week, shot that week, animated that week, delivered that week, which was just just incredible.
1: I do understand that they do, you, you would do the easy stuff beforehand, uh, the easy stuff, the stuff that can fit in, rather the um, maybe the Prince George stuff, perhaps. And then but to, to see so much of a kind of, especially when an election happens or mm. something like that, to see like almost a full episode done in a week, somebody who knows how these how television works, watching that is a bit kind of wow, okay. <laughs> there's a lot of effort gone in this week. There's a lot of effort gone in every week obviously, but there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of sweat on it this week's episode.
2: Yeah, I mean we with News eyes, we were just able to to assemble, you know, an incredible team of people that had that had been used to working in a in a long form manner, working on something like Strange Hill, but as you know, with something like Strange Hill you know we had months in advance to work on an animatics and we would have props lists and set lists well in advance so we could we could schedule and plan the build of many of those elements with newsoids. Uh, you know we'd have to fashion a new set or create props on the run for for items that were being shot you know within the next hour. So there was there was a case where uh, I think it was Giles that came up with it you know Nigel Farage coming back from the dead as a zombie and we needed to have his eye popping out and we, we just had, you know, one puppet of, of Nigel, but it was like the art department, you know, we'll do that. Yeah, we can do it. And within two hours, they'd fashioned this eye coming out of the socket and then knives in the back of Nigel's back, you know, so it was, uh, but it, it became, there was a rhythm that was, that was formed, but it was completely, alien to us in sh- because you know that live action that highly pressurized topical shoot was i mean we're from a an animation background which is everything's very measured and when you go around a stop frame studio as you know it's it's much more sedate everybody's behind their black drapes and it's m- much quieter so to have puppeteers who are performers and actors on the studio floor couple with you know live action directors who are used to a different pace of working. That, that was, a, that was a, a sea change for us all. But, but we relished the challenge. It was amazing. You don't
1: seem to have done two series that are alike in, a, in, in many respects. And uh, go, going back to children's television, uh, Scream Street is hitting
2: screens now. Scream Street started life uh, from a, an author called Tommy Dumbervand, who's uh, based in the northwest, actually, in Warrington. There are a series of 13 books, and we were approached about four and a half years ago by Koolabai and Walker Books, the publishers, to see whether we would be interested in pitching for the series back in the day. and The original uh, characterizations were, were 2D, and they looked lovely. They were from a, a studio in Ireland uh, called Cartoon Saloon, you who know, do amazing stuff, and uh, we thought Almost immediately, what an opportunity this would be if we were able to create a Stop Frame series. You know, a comedy action-adventure series in Stop Frame for an older audience. As you know, Stop Frame, uh, in this country anyway, is is largely seen as a medium for preschool storytelling. So we thought, how amazing would that be? You know, if we could create Luke Watson, who's a a 12-year-old werewolf, as a Stop Frame character you know and create a palette a rich palette and an incredible world around these these great characters that Tommy had designed so we pitched in uh that notion and everybody sort of picked themselves up off the floor and then we went through the usual conversations about it's too expensive it's too slow you can't you can't do comedy you can't do action in stop frame you can't do comedy timing because it's always so sedate which is a complete nonsense of course we managed to convince them that it would be a great great idea we uh put together an initial pitch which comprised of a a pilot of about just shy of a minute long sequence and uh then we started the journey of of trying to convince broadcasters and, and thankfully CBBC came on board very early days with Sarah Muller and Damien Cavanaugh and more recently, Cheryl Taylor coming on board, who've been, you know, all embracing of the project. Uh,
1: it certainly is, it's got a real nice pace to it. It isn't paced like a stop motion show.
2: The pace of the show is is dictated by the, by the script, and we, we wanted to, to create something that can resonate with, with today's discerning audience, you know, when, that are being fed, you know, regular regular show, Adventure Time, uh, Amazing Adventures of Gumball, Danger Mouse, you know, the, these. there's a rhythm and a pace that, that's almost expected now uh, by the audience, and we were really conscious of that, and uh, in bringing Giles Pilbrow, a showrunner, on board, you know, he's re- injected incredible energy, and we've been talking about, you know, pace, pace, pace the whole time, but not to the detriment of of losing the characters. So there are moments where you know the audience have to identify with the characters and grow to love them. Otherwise, it's going to fall flat. If it's all just frenetically paced the whole time, bang, 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 action, 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 the audience are going to turn off. Uh, so we think we've struck a balance between, you know, the need for 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 pace, certainly in the action, you know, to sell those elements, but. There are, there are nice and more reflective moments where you, you get the characters, the three talking heads, which are, you know, just lovely to, to have those moments of respite and then you're back into, the, back into the action. And, of course, the pace is largely determined as well. We've got kind of a, a mini three-act structure, but in 11 minutes, which, again, makes life, you know, pretty difficult because you've got to get straight into the, uh, you know, the nub of the story. Uh, it's difficult to, to build that in 11 minutes, but we think because of that there's a real energy you know, within each episode. Yeah,
1: there's a real nice uh, bits in the first episode, like extra little treats, like the um, skeleton winter freeze, and all that, all that kind of stuff. I, do, I really enjoy that extra, extra bit. And uh, there's, there's, like I said, It's like uh, there's no corners being cut.
2: We have to create something that uh, realizes the ambitions of the books. And in stop frame, you know, as we know, to create a whole world around Scream Street to realize that world uh, is is pretty tricky because you need you know physical sets to be able to to sell that world but our, our art direction team led by Barbara Biddulph who's also art director and production designer of the show has created this this modular world where we can reconfigure buildings to give different angles and different perspectives of, of Scream Street but all that said we're still looking at beyond sort of 30 individual sets we've got a you know, an incredible cast of characters, including, you know, zombie bands, background zombies, you know, zombie dogs, uh, <laughs> Lulu the leech. You know, they're probably 90, 90 puppets now. So we're, we're sort of in the realms of a, of a feature film in terms of the, the proportions. And, uh, and, that, and that was the whole ambition for the show when we sat down. It's got to look like, you know, mini feature films condensed into an 11-minute package. And and I and I think and I hope that that's what we've achieved.
1: Could it, could it in, that, in that respect Could it be the most ambitious or the biggest stop motion television show ever made in the UK?
2: I think it probably is the most ambitious stop frame show that's that's ever been made for television. Just simply because of the the scale and the ambition at, at every at every level. uh... You know, as you know, you know, we've been involved you know, with shows from Bob the Builder right through to, you know, to the Clangers. But just just in terms of the the scope of the world, the number of characters, you know, the shot count, you know, if we look at a a traditional sort of, you know, Rory the Racing Car, Fifi, Clangers, you're looking at a shot count of between, you know, anything between 85 and 110 shots as an average. Uh, Scream Street is at an average of about 220 230 shots just simply because of the pacing that that's required uh, in order to you know to convey the stories and the action so i i would i would say it's probably the most ambitious stop frame show for television that's been produced in the uk
1: we talked a little bit about the difference between making an animation for uh, preschool you talked about preschool animation there and and stop motion in the UK being predominantly a preschool medium, what do you think defines that?
2: With stop frame shows, what, the, the beautiful thing about the puppets is that, you know, they're real. You know, they exist. There's a tangibility to them. You know, the texture, the look and feel, the costumes, you know, that, and I think uh, a preschool audience, you know, whilst they might not be able to articulate that, I think they feel that they can reach out and touch those characters. And they're, they're walking and talking, you know, things, real things, toys, you know, in, in many cases as well. So I think, and then that coupled with the the tangibility of the world in which they they reside, I think for a preschool audience, I think it's because of that, that tangibility that they could almost reach out and touch them and they, they do exist there in, a, in a real world. So that's why I think uh, Stop Framers work so wonderfully well for a, for a preschool audience
1: audio audience
2: as well yeah yeah and with with scream street you know we've worked with you know the the master puppet makers you know mckinnon and saunders who have helped us to uh you know realize many of our cast and uh you know in doing that we've we've also you know tapped into their experience you know from from the, the many feature films that they've they've worked on and uh whilst our budgets are nowhere near, you know, the feature film level, in many respects we've we benefited from from MS's experience of, of bringing these characters to life, albeit, you know, I'm I'm at the other side of the table saying, guys, we've got this is our budget, what what can we do? So we've got a mixture of uh you know many different types of of, of characterisation because partly driven by budget but partly driven by the you know the very different quirks and traits of each character. So uh Luke and Rhesus uh, two of our main uh, characters—they've got fully uh, armatured heads, you know, with with you know fully uh, full head mechanisms, so you can you can move the paddles for the for the mouth and so on. Uh, and then, in the case of uh, Cleopar, our two thousand year old mummy, she's got uh, replacement mouths. Uh, and then we have other characters like Serato Sneer, where we have uh, replacement vinyl mouths. And uh, it creates this, you know, very unique look. But it was all—it was partly driven uh, by budget, but mostly driven by the, the different characters.
1: Factory has an awful lot on its in its back catalogue. Yep. an awful lot happening now. Club Penguins, yep. Green Street. Yeah, um, Strange Hill. Um, Etta Clangers. Everything is going on at the moment. Yeah. What's the future hold?
2: This this year has just been has been nuts. And, and it wasn't part of a, a grand plan, if I'm being absolutely honest. These, this year has been the culmination of lots of yeses uh, five years ago, and four years ago, and three years ago, saying, yes, we'd love to do that. Yes, we'd love to work on that. Or have you seen this? We'd, we'd love to make this. Uh, and, it, and it all sort of arrived at once. Uh, you know, <laughs> And we, we, at the turn of the year, we were faced with a, a bit of a dilemma because uh, we had two studios, uh, one of which had the clangers in the other had uh scream Street in uh, we needed a new studio for club penguin doing two further animated specials for club penguin in disney uh, then on top of that we we got the news eye commission and we didn't even we didn't even have a building to house it let alone you know studio space so january looked a little bit like we've got to configure two new studios we've got to take a, a whole new tin shed and configure it so that it would be shoot ready for new zoids in six weeks uh this was the start of the year uh so we had to rig it we had to get all the it infrastructure in there we had to get all the the raised platforms in there we had to get all the kit in there and then on top of that the other layer of pain was that we'd also decided that we were going to move offices and because our digital studios has expanded you know at a rate of knots as well so we we had to move offices, also in January, and reconfigure a digital studio that needed to be ready in order to support NewsOise, which was going to start shooting in in the middle of February. And the, the digital studio with twenty animators needed to be ready by the beginning of March. So it was. Uh, so that's what January in the first quarter of this year looked like. So it feels it feels weird now uh, because we've got three series in in, in full production uh, one of which I can't I can't tell you what it is yet uh, but it's a new collaboration uh, it features puppets again but with many more digital enhancements uh, it's a preschool show with a new partner it's 52 elevens uh, so that's now in pre-production and uh, so it feels like we're with we're, we're steady state with with three series running Uh so now I'm I'm restless because this is this is a you're only as good as your your last production, you know. We're shooting Scream Street through to uh October, November 2016. Clangers, uh, the second twenty-six, we deliver at the end of January twenty sixteen. Uh we're really hopeful that there'll be more. Uh not least to keep our amazing team together. The the new show will be Delivered in January, February 2017. seventeen. Uh, we've got two other digital shows that are, are well in advanced negotiations now. Uh, we've got a development slate. Uh, we're looking for new ideas constantly. So anybody out there that has a great idea, a great story with great characters, we're you know we're really interested. For me, it's about keeping this amazing team of people together. We've been running it over a hundred. Uh, steady state uh, throughout two fifteen going up to, with news always up to hundred and fifty people. Uh we like to do everything in house. We like to make everything our sets, our props. Uh, you know, and I think you know it's it's keeping it going is the is the big is the big challenge because we've you know I've got that freelance mentality uh that's <laughs> that's been sort of inculcated over over the last 15 years and I think anybody that works in animation has that I call it the fear you know what happens when this this production comes to an end and that fear and that desire to to innovate and create new IPs you know that resonate with an audience is is what we're all about and it's now the acid test will be can we keep it going you know because you know I'd hate to be you know, stood here in, in 18 months' time saying, well, we had a great run and, and there's nothing else, you know, which we've, we've seen so many times with Animation Studios. So it's a, it's a great time within the industry right now, but the, the reality is it's still incredibly difficult to fund these shows because uh, there are more platforms to, for broadcasting these shows and there's, there's a great desire from those broadcasters internationally and the new digital channels, and uh, Netflix Amazon hulu blah 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 youtube, but uh the reality is that you know your average show costs between three and four million pounds for fifty two elevens uh you know you can secure twenty percent of of a of a budget from your your lead broadcaster in your in the main territory but that that still leaves a massive gap. We have the animation tax credit, which has been you know a massive boon you know to the industry. Uh, but it's still tricky. You know the, the models are still flawed in the sense that you know uh, you need to have LNM partners, you need to be selling merchandise to stand any prayer of recouping that, that investment. And uh, there's still a long way to go. I think in the UK animation industry, it's been stagnant for a very long time. You know, it's it, thankfully you know there, there seems to be a real buzz now, and there's lots of people wanting to get into it. Many of the colleges are, are really, you know, pushing their courses in the animation sector. Uh, but it's you know we've we've got a long way to go to get to the uh, to the levels of of, of the US guys in Canada and France where they've had these massive you know subsidies for the last you know 20, 20 years. You know, so we've got a lot of catching up to do because, you know, we were in the doldrums, you know, making the odd show over here. And I think it's it's really important that we uh, we find and explore those new models, launching things online. You know, everybody talks about it. I'm going to launch something on YouTube, but it's a, it's a crapshoot. You know, there's that much going out. It's like the app market. You know, there are literally thousands of apps being posted every week, you know, and only one in, you know, one in 100, one in 200 will pop actually make any money so it's that for me you know it will form those those markets and that business model will form and mature over the next few years and that's and that's really exciting and that's an area that I have to say you know because we've been incredibly fortunate to be you know producing long-form shows for broadcast which is which is wonderful uh, we've got a lot of work to do in the in the digital space and so I'm really interested in exploring you know, the different business models and different avenues and different broadcasters in that realm.
1: I think you've answered all my questions at once there. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going um, uh, to say, in, in order to facilitate these new models and, and the way that uh, Factory is rapidly expanding and the way that Manchester is expanding as a as a location, you mentioned all these new courses and things, do you think Manchester is the place in the UK that will take the, take the bull by the horns and, and you know, you know, keep the animation industry afloat?
2: I think Manchester is an incredibly exciting place to be in the, in the media sector, in particular the animation sector. You know, Media City, again, has represented a, a massive, you know, boom for the area and uh, an exciting opportunity. You know, the BBC is still a major, a major driver to the UK animation industry, particularly for the kids' kids animation sector. So that's, that's absolutely critical that we, we still get, get their support uh you know we need to ensure that you know there isn't any silly top slicing or any of that nonsense going on and that and that we they are really supported because they help facilitate you know incredible program making so that's great uh itv were incredibly supportive with newsoids uh you know we hope there are more uh but yeah i think i think manchester i think it's attracting a lot of talent I think the animation courses now uh, from MMU and Salford are, are really burgeoning. You know, they're starting to attract, you know, you know, the best and brightest students. I think that's that's really important. The digital sector is is flourishing. You know, I think it's a I think it's a great place to be. Why not? We, you know, it doesn't need to be in Shoreditch and it doesn't need to be in in Soho. Why can't we do it in Manchester? That's a
1: good question. <laughs> it sounds like you're doing it in Manchester. We tried. <laughs> yeah, oh, thanks a lot, Phil.
2: Thanks. That's great. No worries. So that was Phil Chalk
0: of Factory, and the website is Factory Create. You can check out all the work that they have in production over on there. And joining me now on the podcast is Seb Burnett of Rumpus Animation, although I suppose technically I'm, uh, I'm joining you. I'm here in your studio here in Bristol, which, uh, curiously, used to be the same building that the old Squiggly used to run out of way back in the day. Seb, how are you doing?
3: I'm full of my normal joy de vivre, and uh, a being alive, really.
0: When I talked to you last, we did a video, uh, Lightbox video interview, and I guess you guys had just come to the end of the first Bertram Fiddle game. I think at the time it was only available for like iPad, but now since then there's been a sort of wider release.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's available on PC through Steam now, and we are still still working on an Android build, so that is, that is due to come out sometime in the near future. So yeah, like the next episode we're making at the moment is going to be available... Uh, iOS, Android and PC all, at, all on release, cross fingers, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you are doing a second episode, One One Hopes. Um, you're currently sort of in the process of funding it.
3: Yeah, so we've, we've managed to save up a bit of money from the proceeds of episode one and we're doing a Kickstarter at the moment so we can pay for all our little animators because uh, they constantly demand money for some reason. Yeah, so we're doing a Kickstarter and that's going quite well at the moment and then after that we can go into full production on episode two a bleaker predicament
0: I mean Bertram Fiddle is the character I think I sort of closely associate with Rumpus I think around the time I would have met you it would have been shortly after you did the original student film and there's if you people are listening to this and they haven't seen the uh, the old Lightbox video interview you should check it out and sort of see what exactly it is we're talking about it's essentially a point and click adventure game that has sprung from a character that has been associated with Rumpus pretty much since from day one I would say
3: well, yeah, I sort of came up with the character before uh, Joe and I actually started Rumpus. So um, Bertram's about eight or nine years old now, actually, like his, his character. And then, yeah, we've been working on on the game for about two or three years, like in different stages. I think. So it's a certain yeah, it's, it's part of Rumpus's identity, I think, at the moment. Not not sure if Joe Joe's entirely happy about that, but yeah,
0: uh, of course he is. Of yeah, course he is. Course he is. <laughs> So on the uh, on the last episode of the podcast, we were talking about a pretty similar subject. It was a point-and-click game, also sort of crowdfunded and then sort of released via Steam. and all the stresses therein. I suppose. Now, the guy who we were talking to last episode, Doug, he was actually mostly involved in the creative side of it. Came up with the characters and the story and everything and then handed it over to Pencil Test, who were the ones who actually put the game together. But you guys have been, from what I gather, pretty hands-on in the actual development and creation of the game.
3: Yeah, yeah, we've done it all in-house. We got some funding through um, Creative England, so we were for the first episodes, we were able to hire like a games programmer in-house so we could learn from him and control what was going on. Uh, and now, yeah, episode two is going to be all done in-house again. So it's, it's a 100% indie project in Unity, that program. So we animate traditionally as we would, like in would flash and then import it into Unity. So it's very much, yeah, there's a similar pipeline to how we would normally do it, yeah. just with, with extra interactivity at the end.
0: For people who are just sort of discovering the world of Bertram via the podcast, could you give us some uh, background on who exactly he is and what the premise is and what the story of the, the new episode is going to be about?
3: Bertram's the world's leading Victorian explorator. At the time of the first episode, he's, he's sort of fallen upon hard times and he's is, is struggling to find any adventures. Um, and his wife's giving him a bit of hassle because he's not, he's not bringing in any money to keep her in the um, circumstances she's accustomed to. It's semi-autobiographical. It's very much like any freelancer or freelance artist—sort of the struggles you have doing what you want to do, but also providing an income. Except he's a Victorian explorer whose adventures are slightly different. You could put it in any job really, where you're freelance and you don't know where your next adventure is coming from.
0: Yes, having to relate to. Yes, yeah. is it pretty much the same? Uh, well, actually, you were talking about getting some new people on board as far as the voices, but the guy who's played Bertram Viddle is the guy who always played it. So.
3: Yes. Yeah, Louis from uh, Sun and Moon. Yeah, he's an old friend, and he did the voice for the original Bertram film, which was yeah, eight or nine years ago. And for me, I can't imagine Bertram as anyone else now. It's He can add so much to the character while he's recording the voice as well, but it is... It is just a pleasure to work with them. And, yeah, but we've got some, some new voice actors. We've got a really talented filmmaker called Greg Johnson who um, does a, has a character on YouTube called Lunge Dolphin. I recommend you check him out because he's hilarious. We've also managed to get Professor Elemental. who's going to come and do some voices for us. And Trev and Simon from Trev and Simon are going to be um, doing a, a cameo appearance for us.
0: Louis, um Something I didn't actually realise until I had a look at the campaign page. Louis was also Timmy in Sean the Sheep.
3: That's right, yeah. Um, I think he's quite proud of it. <laughs> so, yeah, Louis is actually all the bars you hear on um, Timmy Time. Mm-hmm. They come from Louis, from Bertrand Fiddle. It's one and the same.
0: Excellent. So I guess the reason I want to talk to you now is that there are a few weeks left to actually raise some more funds. You're going the Kickstarter route, which you didn't do for Bertrand Fiddle episode one. But now that the first episode's kind of out there and it's been visible and it's been getting a lot of online response and hubbub there's now a kickstarter campaign and so how have you found that to be is it something that you've taken on yourself
3: yeah we're all just doing it here from the studio it's sort of Mm -hmm. it's really enjoyable actually it's it's hard work but um it's been a, a lot of fun coming up with like silly ideas to get people interested and just seeing the response that we get and People sort of genuinely seeming to be interested in, in Bertram. It's been been really exciting. I, I must admit, for the first few days, I did go a bit crazy, <laughs> and I uh, didn't sleep much, um, and was like tweeting at four in the morning and possibly getting on everybody's tits. Mm. Um, but I've calmed down a bit now because we've sort of we're doing bit, doing okay. So um, yeah, I'm just sort of enjoying it. It is quite difficult to do other work mm. around it. I find it quite distracting. I'm, in the back of my head, I'm always thinking like oh let's just, just check Twitter yeah. one, one more time but um, it's, it's gone really well so far and yeah we've, we've had like over 450 backers so far in, in two weeks yeah so it's, it's very exciting
0: maybe as, as something to kind of uh, intrigue and entice the listening audience so you could go through what kind of rewards and things might be available for him
3: there's also it starts off with with the game you can get the game for like five pounds and then it goes up, there's like, some, some comics that I've drawn, there's t-shirts, a boxed set of the game, and a special adventurers kit, which comes in a tin, which is shaped like a book. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, <laughs> it's, it blows my mind. There's also yeah, an art book featuring guest art from some friends of ours. There's loads of, there's going to be a Gavin figurine, like handmade, limited edition Gavin figurine.
0: There's a chance to be in the game, it's literally mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Oh, they'd be a fool to not check it out. Because this already is based on a game that's already out, that's done very well, It's a lot of fun to play, and I expect, you know, obviously it's going to continue in that sort of vein. There's not really going to be any massive sort of detours in, like, the gameplay or anything, other.
3: Yeah, the gameplay's going to be uh, similar. We, we are trying to make the puzzles a bit more complicated, mm-hmm. so it's like it's like an evolution of the puzzles. But, yeah, it's, it's always going to be story-based and character-based, so that will be the main focus, but yeah we're going to try and make it a bit more involved with how the interactions between characters work, mm-hmm. so it's the same. but And uh, there will be a lot of the old characters returning, so you can expect to see some of your favourites like Pokey Mare will be back, <laughs> and nice. and uh, Count Folchmuckle. I'm sure he'll be going to make an appearance. One can hope, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. one can hope. Do, do people know that you are the voice of... Count folks, like, Have you have you made that common knowledge? I don't know if
0: we, I've sort of expressly, but yeah, I do a couple of the voices in episode one, so uh, so that's another incentive for me to get episode two funded.
3: Yeah, there's there's like a load more. There's Lord Wretchedly. He's one of my new favourite characters. Mm. Who's going to be in the next episode? The story for episode two is that Bertram gets framed for a murder, mm. then has to escape London. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but you know, he has to escape London, which is a bit of a spoiler. But then he uncovers the mystery behind Jeff the murderer goes much deeper than one first Yeah. So
0: there you go. Intrigue. Mystique. 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 Superb. Mm -hmm.
3: Superb.
0: Is there a website people can go to to check it out? There is, yep. www.birchandfiddle.com
3: and then also on Twitter, just at birchandfiddle.
0: And for people who are listening to this online, if you go to the podcast page, we'll have the uh, original uh, video interview embedded so you can have a little look at uh, what episode one looks like and uh, wet your whistle. Hopefully, this will turn some people onto it. This is something that I'm a big fan of. I'm really glad that you're doing more for reasons beyond just me being involved. It's a lot of fun. Anything else that Rumpus are up to that you're able to share? It's all very hush hush at the moment. Yeah, more yeah. mystery. Yeah,
3: there you go. There's there's a a few small projects which may or may not happen. We're, we're trying to work with some um, illustrators we know on a, on a children's project as well, like developing that. But yeah, it's very early stages at the moment. The Professor Elemental Game as well. We've got that tickling along in the background. And I think that's it for, that I can divulge at the moment. Yeah.
0: Well, you can follow Rumpus on Twitter at rumpusanimation and uh, rumpusanimation.com. Check in with uh, all the other stuff that they're up to and all the stuff that they've done before.
1: So passes and tickets are still on sale for the Manchester Animation Festival, which is running on the 17th, 18th and 19th of November this year at home in Manchester. If you go over to www.manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk, you'll find all the information there.
0: It is going to be a firmly, firmly packed three days It is for animation fans, certainly. It's already fit to birth, if you look at the website and all the uh, all the films and events and panels and things that are already announced. So yes, I don't think anyone's going to be disappointed.
1: For those interested in, in the kind of business side of things, the uh, Manimation Conference uh, tickets have gone on sale as well, which will be taking place on the Thursday, parallel to the Manchester Animation Festival. Um, so those who want to get a bit more of the kind of, uh, I'd say, industry insight, um, pop along to the uh, Manimation Conference. And tickets uh, are available. and uh, You'll be able to follow the link from uh, the Manchester Animation Festival website.
0: And also amongst the math lineup worth mentioning is this episode's guest, Phil Chalk, who will be in attendance, speaking as part of the "Making It in Manchester" talk on Wednesday, November eighteenth.
1: Alongside him will be Leo Cassilly from Flix Facilities and Chris Bowden from McKinnon and Saunders. And for those interested in McKinnon and Saunders in the northwest, there is a exhibition uh, which is opening at the Waterside Art Centre in Sale uh, this autumn um it's called mckinnon saunders puppet masters and it's like a celebration of animation so if you want to see the stuff uh the, the 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 designs and and behind the scenes of the likes of corpse bride mars attacks the clangers uh, which factory put together bob the builder and more there is that exhibition uh and there's also going to be a um a full day of talks called meet the puppet masters uh, a day of animation talks which is taking place on saturday the 7th of november which has speakers including um, Peter Saunders, the uh, puppet maker and co-founder of McKinnon and Saunders and past podcast guest. Uh, Peter Furman, the co-creator of The Clangers and uh, co-collaborator with Oliver Postgate uh, and Small Films. Carlos Grangle, the illustrator and collaborator of uh, of Tim Burton's films, um, talking about uh, about his approach to work. And uh, the man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him an introduction anyway, Curtis Joblin, uh, the character designer of uh, Bob the Builder, creator of Ra-Ra, the Noisy Lion, and now author of, uh, of many books, including the Wereworld series and uh, I think World of Warriors he does now. Uh, he'll be there uh, to give insight into his work as a character designer. So that's going to be a, a jam-packed day of talks on the 7th of November at the uh, Waterside in Sale.
0: Well, I have the um, events calendar open in front of me. May as well uh, plug a couple of other animation events for people who might be out and about in the, the UK. I think all of these are. 26th of October, here in Bristol, I believe, Show Me the Animation are doing a presentation at the Hen and Chicken, which was uh, where they sprung from back in the day. That was where all the old Show Me the Animations used to be. Is that the place with the pizzas? Yes, it is indeed. Ah, so that. there's a draw in and of itself. Uh, they're presenting Shortcom, <laughs> a comedy short film program run by Chris Aitken and volunteers. There's also on the 27th Bar Shorts at the book club in Shoreditch, in London. That's Chris Shepard presenting another one of those film nights. that are always a lot of fun. Similarly, Cardiff Animation Nights have an animation screening on Thursday, the 29th of October. That's 8 p.m. at 10 feet tall, and it's completely free. And the London Animation Club has their November gathering featuring uh, Nag Vladimeski, who is the director of the London International Animation Festival. Lots of uh, animation events to check out. For you socialites out there.
1: And of course, if you have any animation events yourself that you want to plug, uh, you can add them for free to the events calendar on Squiggly. Um, So just head along to uh, Squiggly, click on events uh, at the top of the page there, and just add your own event. Mm -hmm. We'll give it a good old shove on Facebook and Twitter as well, make sure everyone knows about it.
0: So there we go, another Squiggly podcast for your receptive ears. Thanks very much again to Seb Burnett. Rampus Animation, you can visit them at rampusanimation.com. And follow the adventures of Bertram Fiddle over on BertramFiddle.com. The Kickstarter runs until the morning of Friday, November 6th. And they've really outdone themselves with all their reward incentives, so definitely give what's on offer a peruse. They're on Twitter, at Rumpus Animation. You can even follow Bertram himself, at Bertram Fiddle. Thanks once again to Phil Chalk. You can visit Factory at FactoryCreate.com and follow them on Twitter at Factory underscore Create. The new show, Scream Street, is currently airing on CBBC. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben L. Mitchell. The website is ben-mitchell.co.uk. You can follow Steve on Twitter at Mr. S underscore Henderson and, of course, Squiggly itself is at squiggly and we're on facebook.com slash squiggly magazine and for all the reviews interviews and assorted animation miscellany we enjoy putting together for all of you visit squiggly.com and until next episode happy animating